1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to read uh, several verses from this text this morning. If you will stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning with verse number 1. Paul the apostle writing to the church at Corinth. He's, he's in Ephesus, which we're going to talk about this morning. He's in Ephesus, and he's writing to this new charismatic, powerful, goofed-up church. And uh, he's got some really encouraging words for them. And we're, 1 Corinthians 16.1, Paul says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Now skip down to verse number 8. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. And here's my emphasis, my emphasized verse this morning. Because a wide open, everyone say wide open. Wide open. Everyone say mega. That's where the word we get mega from right here. A mega door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. This morning I want to talk to you about open doors. Everyone say open doors. I want to pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity once again, not only to experience your presence in worship, to be challenged, to be transformed by the declaration of your word. God, I ask right now for every person in this room, no matter what condition, no matter what state their soul is in, no matter where their heart is today, that they would have a receptivity to hear you, not just me, but to hear my words become your words in their ears and their hearts today. God, I need your grace one more time in the second service. Do what only you can do, Jesus, in your wonderful and powerful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Open doors. Doors are a, a really kind of, you know, an innocuous thing in our culture. They're amoral. They have no necessary good or evil to them. But doors are actually pretty cool if you start to think about it. Uh, we were in Rome. My son studied there as part of his education this summer, and we went to pick him up, and, uh, and he'd already explored a bunch of the city, and he wanted to take us up to a place called Adventine Hill, and it's, a, it's got a, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, display of the city when you go up to the top of this hill, and we get up to the top of this hill, and there's a monastery up there, and there's a line of people standing at the door just like this. I mean, a line of people, but they're not going anywhere. I mean, they're just going up to the door and then they're walking away. And so uh, I said, well, what's that about? So like, you know, like a good American went in Rome, do what the Romans do, right? So I get in line to see what all the big fuss is at this door. And, uh, and as we get up to the front door, this is what we see. It's a keyhole. It's a keyhole. And whoever built this building, 400, you know, in Rome, a 400-year-old building is like yesterday, right? You know, so whoever built this building three or 400 years ago designed it so that when you look through this keyhole, you actually, when you're looking through it, you can see the valley. You can see this beautiful view of the city looking right into St. Peter's Basilica. That's a pretty cool door. People travel from all, it's on the, you know, travel, the, the travel guide. It's on one of the top 10 things to see in Rome, doors. Doors. I mean, there's some famous doors around the world. Maybe you know this door right here. This is uh, 10 Downing Street. Anybody know where this is? It's in London. If you've ever been to London before, this, this building has housed some of the most famous Englanders that the world has ever known. Men like Winston Churchill actually lived behind these doors during World War II when Hitler and the Nazi army was bombarding the city of London. 
Uh, here's another famous door. This is uh, the door of Wittenberg Castle. Now, the original Wittenberg Castle that Martin Luther, over almost a little over 500 years ago, nailed his 95 theses to this door. This, this is a replica of the, of the building. It was burned down in the 1700s. But this door is significant. Uh, it represents people look at this door and they say, something significant happened at this door. Uh, this last door is a pretty famous door. I remember when this movie came out, and this was so cool to watch little Lucy go to the door of the wardrobe and open it up, and wow. I mean, doors are opportunities potentially for incredible experiences, but doors can also be an opportunity for bad experiences. There, there's nothing necessarily more or, or, or evil or good about a door, but what's behind the door. The old country western song says, no one goes on behind closed doors. Closed doors, opens doors. There's big doors, little doors, grand doors, beautiful doors, insignificant doors, doors that are just doors, doors that seem to go nowhere. But doors have a spiritual metaphor for you and I. Paul actually says that there was a wide open door. Everyone say wide open. We named our youth ministry about 12 years ago wide open in response to this text. There's a wide open door. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, this infant church. This church has had a powerful move of God, and God is saving people. And they got some wrong ideas about the gospel, but they're, they're definitely experiencing the grace of God. There's miracles and healings, and people are operating in spiritual gifts, and lives are being transformed, but they're doing some really crazy things as well. They're getting drunk. At, they take communion. Don't take just a little bit for them. They go ahead and drink the whole glass, and they get drunk at the communion table, and they're sleeping the wrong people. There's just a lot of problems in the church. And Paul is writing to this church. He not only uh, writes, writes a letter of commendation, encouragement to them, but he also writes a letter of correction. And in 1 Corinthians 16, he's just giving them instruction as a good father does to his child. And he's in a place called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is significant in the Bible because it, 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 we're going to look at Acts chapter 19, but one of the greatest revivals in the New Testament took place in the city of Ephesus. It's a modern day Turkey today. And, and this city uh, uh, had one of the, uh, called the seven wonders of the world, the temple to Dianus. The temple to Dianus was a place that people would come all over the world because it was a place where, where men could sleep with temple prostitutes. They had all kinds of crazy sexual practices there, but it was a very famous city. And it was, it was in this city that God began to show his grace. God began to use Paul in a very, very powerful way. Uh, Paul, in his life, he lived kind of like some preachers today. Whether you, you love John MacArthur or you hate John MacArthur, when you mention his name in the Christian circles, man, it's either a pucker up or duck. Right? Uh, people, Joel Osteen, people either love Joel Osteen or they hate Joel Osteen, right? I mean, I shouldn't say hate, maybe it's a strong word. But when you mention certain names, there's certain connotations that we have in the church. And so Paul had the the the... Joel Osteen anointing or the John MacArthur anointing. People loved Paul because everywhere he went, there was either revival, God spirit moving, and lives are being transformed and changed, or people were rebelling. They were revolting. They were, they were wanting to destroy, and they wanted to kill his life. And so Paul is writing to the church, and he said, there's a wide open door of opportunity before me, a mega door, an incredible door. I mean, a big door. Everybody say a big door. 
There was a huge door that was open before him. And when Paul walked through this door, the very first thing that he began to do was preach Jesus. He began to preach Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, where the story is recounted of Paul actually being in Ephesus while he's writing this letter, he said John's baptism, he's talking to these, believe, these people that were believers in John's baptism, they, but they'd never heard about Jesus. They'd never heard about the Holy Spirit. They, they had not stepped into that relationship, that personal relationship of a life of transformation with Christ. And they said John's baptism was, he said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after John, that is Jesus. He told them about Jesus. He preached Jesus. He shared Jesus with them. And immediately, immediately they received. They were like this dry sponge. And a big, great big uh, gallon of water was poured on it. They just sucked it up. And that revelation of who Jesus is and the power of this resurrected Christ became real to them because Paul had one message. Paul had one message. And that was to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. One message. And Paul's preaching. And lives are being transformed. And people are being baptized. It was an open door to preach the gospel. I was thinking about doors, how they open for us when we moved from Seattle to Central Florida. 19 years ago, I had such a strong compulsion. I knew that God wanted my wife and I and our family to start a church. We were in, actively involved in a local church, and we were serving on staff. And I, when I went on staff, I told the pastor that I really felt God called us to, was calling us to start another church. And, and I remember when I went and talked to him about what God was leading to me to do, I went with great fear and trepidation. And as I stood before him, I had this overwhelming compulsion, this, this great sense that God was going to open a door for us. And when I told him that we were moving to Central Florida, he was really, really astounded by it. He thought for sure I was going to stay in the Seattle area and start a church. And, and uh, he came alongside of me. He so believed in the call of God and our life that he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to send you to Central Florida, and we're going to pay your salary for the first year. We're going to take care of your medical and pay your auto expenses for the very, very first year. Come on, can you give him a great big hand? His name is Wes Linseth, and to this day, he'll always be my pastor. I'm so grateful. See, he sensed that there was something on our life that God was leading us to an open door. And we've seen as a result of that, we've seen God do an incredible work in many, many people's lives. I feel like Paul the Apostle at time, he says, although I am the least, the less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The Bible says that there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Paul preached Jesus. Jesus changes lives. It's why when you mention Jesus in a public arena, not as a curse or a blaspheme, but when you mention the name of Christ in a positive way as one who's impacted and changed your life, you feel tension. You feel tension in our culture today. You can talk about anything in our culture just about. The craziest things. I can't even believe the conversations that people have. But you mention Jesus and you feel resistance. Why? Because that name is the only name given under heaven by which men may be saved. The name of Jesus. Friday, as I was preparing this message, uh, 
I was sitting in a hotel right around the corner called the Westin. It's one of my little study places. There's a little corner there. I can take my laptop and plug it in, and nobody knows I'm there. And, and so I was studying in, in the Westin, and I went up. Did I say something bad? Oh, yeah, now you know. Shoot. Go ahead. Gave it away. All right. Well, you can come hang out with me. If you want to study, you can hang out with me. That's hilarious. And so I went in to give a cup of coffee, and anyway, I started a conversation with the lady that was a restaurant manager there, and so after a couple minutes, she came out to see if I needed anything else, and I asked her for another cup of coffee, and we started having a conversation. I asked her about how long she'd been serving and how long she'd been, been working at the restaurant, and she told me how she got into the business, and I told her about my background in restaurant business, and we had restaurant stories, you know. You see, here's the deal. When you tell your story, it always opens the door potentially. It's a potential open door to tell his story. And so as I was talking to her, I, I, I sensed that God was leading me. And, uh, and so one of the things that tends to happen when I have conversations with people outside of the church world, uh, the people ask me what I do. Like, what do you do? Well, a couple weeks ago, I was playing golf, and I'm out there, and I'm hitting golf balls, and the guy sitting next to me just being a dude, you know, and with dude talk and the way that dudes talk. And so I'm hitting, and then he says, hey, what do you, by the way, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's not that I'm ashamed to be a pastor. I just know that once I introduce myself like that, the conversation changes. And so I told her, I said, well, I pastor a local church right around the corner called City Church. She goes, oh. she goes well, how did you get into that? How did that happen? <laughs> and I just began to tell her my story. I said, I was a young man. I was 21 years of age, I was so messed up. I was doing the things that young men do, living far from God, and didn't have a relationship with him. And, and as I was telling them the story how I got saved, tears began to well up in her eyes. I, I don't mean little tears. I mean like face contorted, crocodile. And in that moment, she said, I've been so hopeless she said, a year ago, my 26-year-old son overdosed on drugs. She began to tell me her story. And in that one moment of an open door, I began to share with her the love of Christ, the hope that only Jesus can bring. See, that was a wide open door, an opportunity. I didn't have to force it. I didn't have to make it. God opened the door for me to be an effective witness, to tell the boundless treasures of our Christ. And then as Paul went, he began to boldly, in Acts chapter 19, verse number 8, the ball says that as Paul entered into the synagogue, he spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom of God, because God's kingdom is completely contrary to the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world is about power, position, prestige, wealth, significance, the kingdom of heaven is exactly the opposite. The kingdom of heaven is about service, about sacrifice, about love, about laying down your life for other people. Jesus said, if you want to be great, if you want to have power, if you want to have significance in my kingdom, you become the least. You become a servant of all. Paul went into the synagogues and began to boldly argue persuasively about Jesus. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation first unto the Jews and then to the Greeks. Paul's life, Paul's life wasn't just a life, though, of words. 
Paul didn't come to them just in word. Paul came to them in deeds. There's a lot of words out there. There's a lot of messages out there. There's a lot of people who will tell you a lot of things. But Paul's life, the words that he spoke about Jesus, were confirmed by miracles. The work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of people. You see, I found that people are very comfortable with religion. Very, very comfortable with, with religion. But the moment the challenge comes out to give up your religion and enter into a relationship with Christ and, and change the way that you think about God and change the way that you're living, the way that you're currently living so that you can become a servant of God, things become uncomfortable. And God used Paul in a powerful way. Verse number five of Acts 19, Paul says, on hearing this, hearing the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, they were baptized into his name baptized. Immediately there was a response in the hearts of people. And in verse number six, it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Uh, He didn't just preach Jesus. He just didn't see people get into the pool of baptism. You see, in this encounter, what had actually happened, Paul went to Ephesus and there was a group of people who had been baptized into John's baptism. John was Jesus' cousin. John preached a baptism of repentance. But Jesus came a baptism of life and life more abundantly and relationship with God. Paul says this, and after me comes one, Jesus says this. John says this about Jesus. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Paul saw them baptized in water, but then he laid hands on them, and they were immersed in the Holy Spirit. It was a subsequent work to their salvation experience. It's what God desires for every single one of you. He wants his presence, the reality of who he is and his grace to fill and to flood your life. The Bible says they begin to speak in new tongues, and they begin to prophesy. They begin to speak in tongues to God, and then they begin to speak prophetically for God. You see, they began to speak in a heavenly language that they had never learned. It was a direct communion. It was a direct access to their heavenly Father. But they began to speak publicly for God to mankind. Things started happening. Miracles started happening. And in verse number 11, the Bible says that Paul told them, God did extraordinary miracles through my hands. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had been touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured. And evil spirits left. Powerful. Lives are being transformed. Lives are being changed. The gospel of Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, they did four things. They first preached the message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. And then they begin to teach people who Jesus was and how they were to live for him. And then the Bible says that every time, every time they begin to declare who Christ was and people were receptive, miracles. People, who were, he- people were healed. Lives were transformed. And people who were confused in their minds and tormented by the devil were set free. That's why we believe in prayer here at City Church. That's why we have a prayer time in between the worship songs so that you can come. Because we believe that God still answers the prayers of his people. We still believe where two or three are gathered together in his name, agreeing upon anything in his midst, he shall do it. You see, there is a God. There is a God who is at work amongst people. Revival broke out. I mean, revival broke out in Ephesus. Many believed. 
Many believed. And in verse number 20, it says, And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Widely and grew in power. God was moving among people. Lives are being changed. People were experiencing his grace and forgiveness. And then back to the first Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the church in verse number 9, he said, but there were many who opposed me. There were many who opposed me. When Paul made the decision to follow Christ, when Paul made the decision to walk through this open door and to preach to the people of Ephesus, there were people who were in opposition to him. You know, every time you go to take a step for God, you know, anytime you go to take a step to do anything differently in your life, you'll experience opposition. Yeah, you know, you're you're watching late night television and the person up there is selling this 50-day plan, this 30-day plan. If you do this in 50 days, you change your diet, you eat like this, the green plan, the blue plan, the yellow plan, the Oprah Winfrey plan, whatever the plan is, you you change it, then you're going to look like this. You know, you're going to look like this, right? You're like, yeah, I'm committed. I got an opportunity. The new me, I'm going to go to the gym. And then you have opposition. It's called your fork. (laughs) I don't know that. Fork gets in the way every time. I mean, you're going to do anything worthwhile in your life. You're going to have opposition. And many times that opposition is just your feelings. It's just your feelings. Other people tried to stop Paul. Back in the story in Acts the Bible said there were, there were Jews, they were raised up in the city, and women of prominence, and they persecuted Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Uh, the fact is, is that if you take a bold stand for Christ, not everyone is going to be happy. My best friend from high school became a Christ follower right after I did, and I remember his brothers were so opposed to him. You know, some people are really happy that you come to faith and you found your way, and oh, that's cool for you, and... You know, good, not for me, but good for you. But not everyone's happy. And his brothers were really opposed, really opposed. People will try to stop you at times from taking your next step in God's kingdom and God's plan. But there's a real live enemy today. His name is Satan, Lucifer, the devil. He's not just some entity out there, this evilness out there. No, he's a real live being. The Bible says that Paul calls him an angel of light. He's a deceiver and a liar. And he's come to kill, steal, and to destroy. Paul said of Satan to the church at Thessalonica, he said, I wanted to come to you time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Satan wants to hinder you in your call. Satan wants to tempt you and test you and deceive you. Satan wants to hinder the purpose and the mission for which God has created you for today. But I want you to know today that Satan's roar may be loud. His bite is very small. His bark may be loud, but his bite is very small because the God that you and I serve, the God that we serve is a big God, a mighty God, the God who conquered death, hell, and the grave at Calvary's tree. In one moment, the Bible declares that he took the keys, he took the chains and the bondages of hell, and he stripped them from mankind so that whoever would believe in him would be free. Thank God Almighty will be free indeed. Satan tries to stop you, tries to hinder the work of God. But I've found that not other people, 
And not even the enemy is my greatest. Not even, other, not even the enemy of our soul is my greatest enemy. My greatest enemy is me. Paul, writing to this church at Corinth, said these words. He said, after I've preached the gospel, my greatest fear is that I would be disqualified. You see, it isn't just in words that we speak. We must also live the life. We must also live the life. And the challenge before you and I today as Christ followers Not to allow the limitations of our own self. Not to allow the limitations of our own thinking. Our past experiences dictate our future. You see, what Paul understood is that you got to put the past behind you. And to the church of Philippi, he said this. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Brothers and sisters, there's one thing you got to know. Forgetting those things which lie behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead and I press on. Everyone say, press on. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I can't change yesterday. I can't undo the mistakes of my past. But I can look forward. I can ever say look forward. I can go forward in God and move upward into his purposes. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But ultimately, the opportunity, the opposition lead to this. An obligation. An obligation to go missions. An obligation to go. Paul, writing to the church, said, For I have such a great sense of obligation to people both in the civilized world and to the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. We have an obligation. We don't like the word obligation. But obligation simply means duty. The men and the women that stood just a moment ago when we honored our vets, veterans, they understand duty. They understand obligation. The word obligation simply means a commitment, a responsibility, a moral imperative, something to which I'm legally bound. Obligation many times in the church is considered to be a dirty word. But the fact is, it's never seen in that context. Obligation is seen in the content of delight, in the delight of God. You see, Paul felt obligated to tell people about the gospel because of what God had done in his life. A man who had made a mess of it, a man who was full of murder and anger and hatred, experienced Jesus on a road called Damascus. And in that one moment, he was transformed. And a man full of hate became a man full of love. A man full of religion, went from religion and bondage and trying to, trying to do religious things to a man who knew God. A man who had a relationship. It wasn't religion. It was not about a personal relationship. He had a transformation. And he felt obligated to tell other people, to communicate to other people the gospel of Christ. You know, I, I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel like paying my electric bill this month. <laughs> Go ahead, don't pay electric bill. <laughs> don't be crying in the blues when you got no air conditioning and you can't see when you go to brush your teeth at night. I don't feel like being faithful to my spouse. Oh, oh, oh. It's not feeling. You made a decision. You made a decision. You, you committed yourself an obligation. You don't always feel like doing things. 
But if we live by feelings, we ne neglect the reality that Christ has called us to live by faith. And the word faith literally means a firm commitment to the truth. That's what faith means. A firm commitment to the truth. Feelings mean very little. But we're a culture of feelings. But you and I have not been called to live a life of feelings. We like to feel it. We love to come into a worship experience and love the feel. But if it doesn't change us as we walk out this door, it's worthless. It's worthless. It isn't just about a feeling. It's about living the life of faith. So here's our obligation. Here's our obligation. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He's risen from the dead. And he's hanging out with this 12. These are the last words that he spoke to them. He says, therefore, go. Everyone say go. Go, go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Everyone say go. go. To all nations. Now, the word nations in the Greek is the word that we get ethnic from. It's ethnos in the Greek. It's where we get ethnic groups from. And do you know that there are over 13,000 ethnic or people groups in the world today? 13,000. Over 13,000. And only 6,249 have had an adequate witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The command of Christ was to go into all people groups, all ethnic groups, red man, black man, yellow man, white man, green man, purple man, whatever person, person, people. Sorry, I used the man in the generic. Not allowed to use that anymore. Whatever people. To all people. It's not a black people's Jesus, not a white people's Jesus, an Asian people's Jesus, an Indian person's Jesus. He's a Jesus for all people. I want you to go, and I want you to immerse them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Say, he's with me. He's with me. Always to the very end of the age. Do you, have, you know you have a mission today. You have a mission today. There's a wide open door of opportunity that God has for you. It's called purpose. It's called your purpose. And you've been created by God for purpose. Every person. I have a purpose. Say, I have a purpose. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. God's created you for that. My purpose is to go and to tell other people. You see, there are doors of opportunity in your realm of influence that I'll never be able to walk through. Well, my pastor, he told something. It ain't good enough. It ain't just my job. We're all followers of Jesus. Every person that's named the name of Jesus, every person that's accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, every person that's taken that next step and gone into the pools of baptism, every person that claims to be a Christ follower, we're disciples. We're little Christ. That's why we're called Christians. We're called to take this message. We have a mission and we have a mandate. We have a mandate to over the over 2 billion people on planet Earth who've never heard. All. Jesus said, all. All. Paul the Apostle to the church at Corinth said, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. 
If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. The love of Christ compels us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We, through God, were making his appeal through us to implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Oh, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Our friends and family, the people in relationship that are close to us that don't know Jesus, that haven't had that encounter. I don't mean religion. I mean a personal encounter. There's an eternal destiny that's very real for every person on this planet. And we have the responsibility to make his name known. You see, when we go, when we take that last breath, we will stand before the Lord. And we will hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or we will hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It's one or two things. To be in relationship with Christ, to, to know Jesus, to make him known is our mandate. It's our responsibility. George Whitfield lived in the 1700s. He was noted as probably the greatest preacher that ever lived in the Americas. At the age of 23, he began to preach, and God used him in such a powerful way. He, he was assigned to a little church, but uh, very soon the little church couldn't hold all the people and found himself out on the stumps and on the street corners preaching. One time in the country of Wells, he was invited to preach to coal miners who had never heard the gospel. They'd had a form of religion, but they'd never heard the gospel that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And as these coal miners walked out, he began to preach Jesus to them. And as he was preaching Jesus, there were about 200 miners that were standing and listening to him. They began to weep. Tears began to flow down their face. And it started a revival and a move of God. And when he came to Americas, he was the most famous American outside of Ben Franklin at the time in the U.S. colonies. Very, very famous man. Ben Franklin said, I love to hear this man preach because it was like listening to a person who was a flame of fire. Whitfield would preach in the city of Philadelphia at that time. I mean, you think of this. This is the colonial days. There's maybe a couple million, maybe, in the whole, all the colonies put together. And he stood there in the street of Philadelphia on a street corner and he preached. And within just several minutes, over 30,000 people were listening to him. He shaped, he rocked, he revolutionized. It was called the First Great Awakening. You can read it historically. The First Great Awakening in America. People were transformed. He preached at Yale and Harvard. And even in those days, they were, they were not bastions of, of Christianity. They had a form of religion. But they had no power. There was no relationship. There was no ability for people to experience a transformed life. And after Whitfield went there, revival broke out in Yale and Harvard. And so we have this message, this message of hope, this message of hope for this generation. Back to our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You see, when our hearts are saved, when our minds are transformed, then our pocketbooks get saved. Our resources are no longer our resources. They now become God resources. They're, they're resources that we can use to advance the kingdom of God and the message of heaven. We understand that everything we have comes from God, that it's a gift from him, that, that it is he that gives us the power to obtain wealth so that we can establish his kingdom in the earth. And the Bible says that Paul told the church on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money and keep you with your income. And then the response to them, the response to Paul was, brothers and sisters, I see that even in your severest trial, 
and your great poverty, there was extreme joy in your desire to be generous. God loves a cheerful giver. Every month here at City Church, we, every month we write checks to over 35 missionaries. You as a congregation, your giving enables us to support over 35 missionaries. Projects. Over the last couple of weeks, we've introduced some of these people to you. We had the woman from Habitat from Humanity. We were able to, as a congregation, give Habitat for Humanity a significant check a couple of weeks ago. And then we had Andrea Crisice from the Pregnancy Center here with us. And we were able to give her a significant check. And then last week, we had the men from Teen Challenge. And we were able to come alongside. It was such a powerful service, a demonstration of God's grace. Because we understand today that it's not ours. That we live to give so that the mandate and the mission of Christ can go forward to the ends of the earth. Take this gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to introduce to you some people that you as a congregation help open the door in their communities to bring God's love into their realm of influence. Check this video out. I'm Phil Jakewith. And then his wife, Judy. And we just uh, thank you so much, uh, City Church Orlando, for all you've done for us. We've been in Mexico 30 years. I don't know how many of those years you've been supporting us. But uh, you can see our city, great city, behind us. And uh, out of this city, we've uh, planted many, many churches. I think right now we're covering close to 150 churches. And thanks to people like you, I understand you're giving a, uh, one of your day's wages for the Global Missions offering in November. And uh, we thank you for your generosity. It's people like you that keep people like us out here on the field doing God's work. And uh, we just appreciate and love you so much. Thank you. Hey, City Church, it's Joe and Natalie Bernowski. And we heard that you guys are giving one day's wages to support global missions. And from the bottom of our hearts, we want to say thank you for giving. We could not do what we do without the sacrificial giving from families just like you all. So thank you so much. This past year, we've seen at least a thousand students equipped and empowered to reach their uh, middle and high school public campuses all across Penn, Florida. This upcoming year, we're even more excited because we believe that thousands are going to come to know Jesus Christ through our seven projects school assembly program. So thank you for giving. You are making a difference all around the world and right here in Florida. Thank you, God bless. Hi, City Church. This is Damien and Merla Zinicola, your missionaries to Cuba. And we heard that you guys are giving one day's wage to support global missions. We want you to know that from the bottom of our heart, we are so thankful for what you are doing. We couldn't be accomplishing all that we are in Cuba in the house church movement by preaching in these house churches and also going in and purchasing um, houses for these shacks that are being used right now and also helping to facilitate other ministry in that country. We couldn't be doing that without the sacrificial gifts from families just like you. Your giving is truly making a difference in Cuba and around the world. Thank you so very much for your generosity, and may God bless you. Hey, City Church, this is Justin White here in Romania. We just wanted to say a huge thank you uh, for your support. We hear you're doing a uh, one day's wage towards missions, and we just want to say thank you from here, here at the American Cafe. 
the Constanza Dream Center here in Constanza, Romania. You guys are a huge, integral part of what we're doing here, and we just wanted to say a huge thank you. Hey, City Church, this is David and Paula Stanislaus saying hello from Jakarta, Indonesia. We're really excited about your theme this year and your challenge to give a day's salary to global missions. We are so grateful for your investment into missions. We could never be involved in ministry to the unreached people groups of our city without your help. So we're grateful for what you're doing, and we want you to know it's making a difference around the world and here in Indonesia. Thank you, City Church. The year was uh, 1999, and there was a group of us, small congregation of about 40 people by that time. We went out knocking on doors, inviting people to church. And uh, we were in a community, and um, my wife and I, we would go, we would take our boys, and she would take Keenan or Austin, and I would take the other boy, and we'd go different directions, and we would invite people to this new church that was started in Altamont Springs, and the old movie theater loaded there, located there in the Altamont Mall. And, and Laura went one direction, and uh, she walked up to a door. There was a lady sitting inside that door. She was a woman sitting in, in the room, and she was sitting on the couch, and pretty discouraged, felt like she had no hope. And she had this picture beside the side of her door. She had this picture. This is a picture of Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20. It's a picture that describes what Jesus does for every person on planet earth. He knocks on the door of their heart and said, if any man will open this door, I will come in and I will have a relationship with him. Laura walked up to the door and the lady was looking at this picture and she said, Jesus, I wish that you would knock on my door. So she said to herself, I wish you would knock on my door. And at that moment, Laura knocked on the door. Now, my wife's really close to Jesus. She's almost Jesus. Really close, almost perfect. She looks really cute in a city church serve shirt too. But when that woman opened that door, Laura was there to invite her to come to Christ, to hear the message of hope at city church. It was so amazing to watch not just that woman, but her husband and her son come to church and hear the message. I had the privilege, one of the very first couples that we baptized at New Smyrna Beach way back in the day was this couple. See, there was a door of opportunity. And there's a door of opportunity not only here, but around the world that you and I can help meet today. We can help come alongside of others who need hope. We've been talking about the fill bag, and some of you may be hearing it for the very first time, but for the last 15 years, we've been giving out Operation Blessing Bags. And... Uh, these are bags that we give out at Thanksgiving time to families in need in our community. Last year, there was a guy that came to our church. Uh, he owns a bar in Orlando, and he was so touched by our heart's desire to bring God's love to our community and meet practical need, needs in a practical way that he committed to buying 50 of these. And he's already committed this year to do another 50. Come on, amen. It's telling you what it is. Maybe you haven't grabbed a bag yet and can fill the bag and it's got instructions inside. But for the last three weeks, we've been talking about the one-day wage, giving one-day salary. That's a lot of money. I mean, I, I was talking to another pastor friend of mine and he told his daughter about it. And she teaches school in Orlando and 
she started adding up how much one day was. She goes, that's a lot of money, Dad. I mean, this is a sacrificial gift that we are giving so that others can go mission globally. So every ethnic group, every people group on the planet can be reached with the love of God. It isn't just for us four no more. The mandate is to go. If we can't go, we're going to send and we're going to support this offering, this one-day wage offering. It's really easy to give here at City Church. We can, you can text to give. We have kiosk outside, and I, I do the online giving. I do it right on my phone. It's very simple to follow the prompts to do that. We still do take checks. Some people write checks today, take cash. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song in just a moment. But I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for you to open your heart. One day wage. Some of you are prepared to give, and thank you for that. Some of you are hearing this for the very first time. This is a big stretch. And maybe just commit over the next month to give an extra one day. Give a little bit every week, like Paul said, the first day of the week. So tithe and offerings, we do that. It's how we operate the church. But this is a special offering that we are giving for one day to go global, to open the door of opportunity for other people around the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you today for the work of your spirit. We've been challenged. I've been challenged personally, Lord, even in the preparation of this message, how I've watched and seen how you've opened doors for me to be a witness of your love and of your light. God, I pray like Paul prayed, Lord, I don't want to do anything that would disqualify myself from preaching the gospel. I want to live life pleasing to you. And so I open up my hands and I open up my heart to be led by you and your spirit. God, to give generously today. God, for those that are here today that are giving, I pray a blessing exactly like you said, whether it's small or large, that you will bless us in every way. Father, so we will have everything so that we can accomplish every good work that you've called us to accomplish. We thank you that you're our provider today. We bless your people in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.